Assalamu alaikum, may the peace and blessings of God be upon you. And welcome to another edition of the Pathway to Peace show here on the Voice of Islam radio, a show where we take an analytical look at how we can achieve peace, whether that be political peace, economic peace, societal peace, or inner peace. Today, we live in a world that has unfortunately been plagued with so much falsehood and a variety of evils, which include fornication, adultery, excessive indulgence, indecency, cruelty, mischief, and rebellion, just to name a few. Any good-natured person is looking for a solution to evil that surrounds us. Today, we want to explore a potential solution given to us by none other than His Holiness, the fifth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Masrur Ahmed, may God strengthen his hand, at the conclusion of the 127th annual convention of Gadian India. Yes, you heard me right. The 127th annual convention held in Gadian India, the birthplace of the Ahmadiyya community. His Holiness delivered the address from Islamabad Tilford in the United Kingdom, and it was broadcast across the world on Muslim television Ahmadiyya. Today, I would like to discuss this with you in some detail. And to help me do that, joining me here in the studio, as always, is my peaceful pal and co-host, Mr. Arif Khan. Assalamu alaikum, Arif, peace be upon you. Arif, His Holiness covered so much in such a short period of time, uh, talking about nine evils in just over an hour or so, with quite a bit of explanation on each. So without giving too much away, I wanted to get your initial thoughts on your on His Holiness's address. Walaikum salam. Peace be upon you too, Sufyan. I think, you know, there, there's such a comprehensive uh, address. And, you know, honestly, I'm sitting here wondering how we're going to be able to analyze it in the time we have available. But let's hope we can do some justice to this. I think another thing as well is that in the world we're in today, there are, there are evils, there are sins that people see and acknowledge and people talk about and there are other things that are just accepted they're not even seen as sins themselves for example you mentioned the word fornication how common is that in popular culture or how many people are aware of what that even means or yeah. that it's considered a sin it's just seen as something that is just commonplace um, so I think well as we'll get into it in a minute but I think you know that a lot of the a lot of the things we're going to talk about are things that if you're like me and you, you know, we've grown up in Western societies, we're used to seeing these things around us. Hmm. And sometimes when you read the Islamic viewpoint on some th- on things around, say, the mixing of men and women, where Islam teaches segregation, you tend to think, oh, that's a bit strange or a bit harsh maybe or a bit too strict. But as we'll get into, you know, there are reasons and wisdoms behind all of these things, actually. And, uh, you know, that's why His Holiness uh, expounded in, in much detail in the uh, address we'll cover. Yeah, it's it's interesting how you mentioned how a lot of these evils have become commonplace. And uh, when you when you mentioned the word fornication, it occurred to me that we don't even hear the word much. You know, it's just kind of something that, unfortunately, it's 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 quite commonplace in in Western culture these days. Uh, but it is an evil. It is mentioned not just in the Quran but also in other holy scriptures as well as something that is wrong. And today we're going to explore the address of His Holiness uh, that provided a potential solution, one that is definitely worth investigating, whether you're a Muslim or not, uh, as to how we as a society can 
overcome these evils. And I invite you to get involved in the conversation here on the Pathway to Peace show. You can do this by tweeting at Voice of Islam UK using the hashtag VOI Peace. That's VOI for Voice of Islam, followed by the word peace, all one word. That's hashtag VOI Peace to let us know your thoughts and comments. So let's dive in, RF, the first evil that His Holiness spoke about, which was falsehood. And His Holiness said, Quote, in today's society, we see people lying at every step. Mm. Seeing this, some may think that perhaps saying something wrong to a minor extent occasionally may not be a sin and may hence not be harmful. However, it is such an attitude that actually leads to an even to even greater falsehoods and one slowly loses the importance of telling the truth. Now, how common is this today? A small yeah, white lie here, a small white lie there. It, it seems like lying is there, is uh, around every corner almost. And it's prevalent in the political world. I see like, straight away, I think when I think of falsehood in the current society, I kind of think about the world leaders that we have. Um, and this is, not, this is not one specific country. I think we see it all over the world. It's like how many world leaders, um, you know, when they say something, we believe that they're going to carry it out or we mm. believe that we can even believe what they're saying. There's so much, um, you know, so many examples of leaders lying directly, contradicting themselves, trying to cover things up, not explaining the details of things, being caught to be lying. And it's just become so common that even now, even in today's age where we can go back and watch a video of someone saying something before, someone online can put together a video saying, the politician said this, a few weeks later he said this, he or she said this. Despite that, it's still such commonplace. It happens all the time. And I think generally people don't, people are generally truthful until they want something then they tend to sort of you know lie they normally lie because it's in favor of them you know a child will lie to escape punishment or doing something you know yeah. did you break that or have you you know have you you know done what i've asked you to oh yeah i've already done that you know those kind of things are to try and avoid doing something and i think that's true in everyday life as well it's like you know adults as well will will lie for different reasons but normally it's for selfish uh, individual aims yeah and if you think about lying i mean you talked about politicians lying and that's at the macro level where you have world leaders potentially lying to each other uh, but then at the micro level and you go to the family unit you talked about children yeah. uh, and potentially lying to their parents but then you have husband and wife potentially lying to each other yeah. and how that can cause conflict and you know his holiness has spoken in the past about you know the peace starts in the home and if if we're able to successfully give up this habit of lying then we can establish peace in the home and that peace can then emanate outwards uh, to the macro level as well. Now, the Quran talks about uh, lying and there's an interesting verse that His Holiness alluded to in his uh, concluding address of the 127th Annual Convention of Gadian, India. Uh, the verse is from chapter Al-Hajj, chapter 22, verse 31 of the Holy Quran that says, Shun therefore the abomination of idols, and shun all words of untruth. Now, in reading this verse, Arif, one thing occurred to me. You know, there's the word idols and there's the word untruth in the same verse. How are these related? So the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, has talked about this and he's explained how the uttering of falsehood or basically telling a lie is equivalent to shirk or associating partners with Allah. So shirk is the Arabic term for you know, we normally think of it as polytheism, but it's basically associating someone at equivalent level to God, not believing God being uh, God as being sole and supreme. 
So what he explained was that um, you know that you know it's associating partners with God, and that the Holy Quran has stressed truthfulness, even if it's at the expense of testifying against your own relatives. Um, so you know the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, has also declared falsehood to be the greatest of all evils. So the reason it's linked with idol worship is if you have a pure belief in God, your belief is that every action is observed. Your belief is belief is that you are accountable for everything you do. If I start telling lies, then that is basically saying, I don't feel I'm accountable. I think this is something I can get away with. And that starts to put you on the path to, you know, a lack of faith, really. That means you're not believing in either you don't believe that God is uh, aware of all actions or you believe there is no ultimate judgment for you. And both of those set you on the path of disbelief, which is just like as if you're worshipping some other God, not the true God of Islam. Or potentially you believe that by telling the lie, you don't need the help of God, God forbid, and you you need to do whatever is necessary to cover up whatever you've done wrong. Yeah, and you believe you can cover up just by your own actions and your own words as well, absolutely. Yeah, so we can see clearly here how one lie leads to another, and then there's a snowball effect constantly uh, of having to cover lies uh, so we can see how lying is the root to many, many other evils. His Holiness admonished that we ought to keep the standard of truthfulness of the Holy Prophet in mind. And the Holy Prophet was one that would not let a lie go even in, in the form of a joke. So mm-hmm. he admonished us from even lying when you're telling a joke and keeping your jokes clean and away from any lie in at joke and the holy prophet peace and blessings of god be upon him also said that adopt truthfulness because truthfulness leads towards virtue and virtue leads towards paradise avoid falsehood because falsehood leads to disobedience and disobedience conveys one to hell now very very strong words there um, about how lying just takes you down this slippery path and ultimately uh, leads you, leads one to uh, the fire of hell. One thing to note about the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him himself, Prophet Muhammad, he one of the titles or nicknames he had even before he made his claim to prophethood was a siddiq mm. um, you know, the one who's truthful. So, and also al-amin, the one who can be trusted. So we should really, I mean, I think that's worth pondering on for a moment, Sufyan, because that honesty, that high level of honesty to the yeah. point where even if I am going to say something that will put me maybe in trouble or others in trouble, I, you know, the truth is more important than that. That leads to such an element of trust that people have with that individual. Mm. And the opposite of that, if someone is known for lying, you're not going to believe what they're going to say. You're not. You're going to always be filled with suspicion and doubts. And when you start having that, that, you know, that affects relationships, but it can affect an entire society. If everyone is suspicious of what other people are saying, they don't trust what they're hearing and they begin to, you know, um, question everything. That leads to a, a negative society. Yeah, and the story of of the prophet. I mean, the the fact that he was given that nickname before prophethood. You know, it's also important to keep in mind uh, that the holy prophet, peace and blessings of God be upon him, didn't start receiving revelation or uh, become or was announced as a prophet of God until the age of forty. Mm-hmm. So, from the time he was born until the age of forty, he was able to successfully avoid lying to the point where he got this nickname of being a siddiq uh, which means uh, truthful or, or honest uh, the holy prophet also said that whosoever whoever has the following characteristics is a hypocrite 
When he speaks, he tells a lie. When he makes a contract, he breaks it. And when he makes a promise, he breaks it. And if interesting thing here about this uh, hadith is that all of these, really the root of it is uh, the lying itself. And you can clearly see that. Like when you make a contract, you're basically giving your word yep. in writing to somebody to say, this is what you're going to do. But then when you don't do it, uh, you're basically lying and saying that you're no longer going to fulfill that. Uh, when you speak, obviously, that's the apparent lie. Uh, and then when one makes a promise yep. and you go back on your promise, you're essentially lying. Exactly. They're different. Some are verbal, some are written kind of contracts, but they're essentially the exact same thing, which is saying you're not, your word is no good anymore. Uh, you know, and when someone reaches that level, it's very hard to rebuild that trust in people as well. That's another thing as well. If you just think of your everyday life, right? If you think of people maybe in a work context who have said something to you that you've later known as a lie, friends or work contact, you know, how, what does it take for you to entrust that person again? Often it's very, very difficult. Hmm. Yeah, it's easy to break the trust. It's hard to gain it back. Absolutely. So important to keep ourselves in check. Now, moving on to the next evil, His Holiness went on to talk about adultery and fornication and a very interesting uh, statement made by His Holiness, quote, in today's society, the media has promoted and spread adultery beyond all limits under such circumstances, we have to save ourselves as well as our children, and we have to make special efforts in doing so. Now, what stood out to me here is His Holiness drawing attention to the media's promotion of adultery and fornication. Now, they don't do it in a way where they mention those words specifically, but how is it that you've seen, RF in the media that this is being promoted? So I was thinking of reflecting on this, these words of His Holiness. And if you think about it, let me give you a, maybe a silly example. But, I mean, temptation of, for relationships between men and women, they're there. They're in the world around us. They're always there. One thing that we use to understand and, and the world around us, or one of the big influences around films and, and songs and things like that. Hmm. So what I was thinking to myself is that there's a lot of films and movies where, you know, a man and a woman will come, will, their paths will cross. Let's say they're both already in, in relationships already. Their paths will cross. There's a temptation for them to, you know, break their marriage vows in some way. Um, how many times does that unconsummated relationship stay unconsummated and just end? You know, how many times does a guy say, yep, there's temptation here, but I'm going to resist that temptation. I'm going to walk away. Hmm. Even just in music, let's say, music or in films. And it's like, it hardly ever happens. There's very, very few you know, uh, examples I could think of where that is seen as something. Now, people might say that's because music and films are a form of entertainment. So, of course, what's the more interesting stories if, some, yeah. it's if something happens? But the effect of that is quite profound because same with the media. The media are not going to talk about stories of famous footballer A and celebrity wife B, you know, thought about getting together in some way and then didn't. Right, that's not yeah. gonna that's not gonna sell a story. So, what I'm trying to say is, it feels like the situations occur naturally. Unfortunately, that is just life, and we'll talk about how Islam helps to safeguard you through different ways. But those situations occur. But then, when you know, in some situations, nothing happens. In others, something does happen. Which are the ones that the media is going to pick up on? Which are the ones that are portrayed in films and songs? It's always a situation where something does occur. So it's that sensationalism. It's the reporting. 
it's the you know the highlighting of different types of scandals that is what we see in in movies or in yeah. you know in the media now again maybe that's because the opposite of that doesn't sell papers but the effect of that is people who are influenced like you know we both parents you know our children yeah. are going to be seeing things in the media etc they are going to be influenced if they see that's what's being picked up on and portrayed around them so you know there is a there is a like you said it's not that they're outwardly maybe promoting it but there is this is what does get picked up and if you think about the themes that are encouraged in society it's about having a good time it's like going out it's it's almost another interesting thing is the media almost sets you up to fail in that sense you know celebrities like are encouraged to go out party be part of um, you know glitzy events that are photographed and shown in the media Ooh. but then also if something does occur if they are involved in some scandal it's that same media who's the first ones to put that on the front page of their newspapers and say look look at what this celebrity has done yeah. so it's like a you know the system is almost like a trap in that sense and, in popular uh, culture people people tend to use the excuse arf that a media is a reflection of reality and then other people argue that reality is a reflection of the media so when it comes to this uh topic in particular when we're talking about the the making ma- making it acceptable media has made it acceptable yeah. with adultery and fornication by the by what they portray in the media uh i mean is it right to say that the media is a reflection of reality or is it the other way around i think it's both right i think it's both because the media can also be you know we have regulators in different countries as well right so mm. certain films in some countries will be shown in and others they won't so you know there's it is complex they are a reflection of each other if these things didn't occur at all the media would have nothing to respond report on that mm. you can't disagree with that however the media do have an angle in terms of what they what they choose to cover and we have the same challenge with trying to have you know uh, trying to have fair reporting on say islam for example do we have examples where the media sometimes highlights uh you know negative aspects or well you know when yeah. they're talking about for example terrorism things like this islam is covered when they are uh, peaceful events islam may be covered a little bit less yes you know we do see examples again it comes down to what is the aim of that news publication it's selling papers often mm. so the more sensational the story the better for those outlets and so often that's why you end up with maybe a slightly warped view of the world or maybe a filtered view that is skewed towards this promoting this side Yeah so the Holy Quran clearly mentions uh, about these two sins adultery and fornication and in Surah Bani Israil chapter 17 verse 33 uh, God says and come not near unto adultery surely it is a foul thing and an evil way so very clearly outrightly saying that adultery is not allowed uh, his holiness commented on this and expounded on this verse and he said went back to the media and said what the media is what is the media doing they are now broadcasting children's programs that are poisoning their minds under such circumstances it is something that we have to really be worried about we have to exert immense efforts in this regard now when his holiness said this arf my mind immediately went to uh, what happened during 2022 is they introduced uh, there's a big push for lgbtq now and uh even in a cartoon such as Pepper Pig which is watched by 3 and 4 year olds they're 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 uh introducing these these type of characters and when his holiness was talking about this i mean that immediately came to my mind and and they are making it normal in cartoons the same thing that you mentioned a few minutes ago about you know in adult programs how they're showing you know man and woman that are not married in a relationship they're also doing it now in kids programs and it's become totally normal. Yeah, and I think the challenge here is the real theme I see is that 
you know, that, that childhood innocence is coming more and more under threat nowadays. Um, and it's part of society as well. It's almost like children are having to be taught about things at an even earlier age in school because mm. if they're not, they're going to be influenced by, um, you know, they're going to learn about it anyway. Basically, this seems to be the world we've ended up in, right? Yeah. So it's like, well, they're going to learn about all these things anyway. So the sooner we can tell them in some kind of way, you know, the, we have, the better. And, and to be fair, for, for those of us who are parents in this society, right, we need to know that our children probably are exposed to things that, you know, we wouldn't have been at the same age, um, you know, that they are now. So there is a need for, um, you know, trying to... What the, with these things, like, like for example, media influence, we're all influenced by that. Adults, children, everyone, mm. right? How do we deal with it as adults? We kind of have more of a compass to know what to question. For youngsters, it's harder, but as you, you know, it's our responsibility to talk to them and continue to explain, you know, different viewpoints and, and you know, try and give them the uh, the right balanced view on everything out there. Yeah, and His Holiness went on to define the word zina, which is the the Arabic what's been translated in the verse that that, uh, we just recited, come not near unto adultery. Uh, It it also, His Holiness said that zinna is used to translate that word, but that the word zinna has a much deeper meaning in that it entails the obvious acts of adultery and fornication, but also it includes all the things that ultimately lead one to this evil, including indecent movies or indecent thoughts. So that's a that's a very interesting take on on something that is is you know adultery and fornication are easy to understand for most people, uh, but the stuff that leads to those evils that that's where it gets a bit fuzzy, doesn't it? That's a bit of a gray area. And, and this is what I think is really good that His Holiness has been explicit about this because in the modern age, you know, photographs. You know, you're not allowed to to look at a woman's beauty in Islam. What about mm. a photograph? Is that acceptable? And is you know, what about a, f- a movie or something? Is that acceptable? You know, these are the questions that may pop into people's mind. Oh well, it's not real. You know, it's just a picture. But His Holiness has been really clear on this. You know, he specifically talked about indecent movies, for example, and and he's talked about this repeatedly. Mm. Whether he's talking to uh, male gatherings or or female about you know the the problems that this causes, and. The effect, you know, what this in modern society, one thing people do say you'll you'll hear often in Western culture is, um, I I can look, but I, I know I can't touch. I can look, but not touch. For example, you know, it's kind yeah. of a common thing that uh, you know often men will say to others that you know, right, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm married, so I'm not gonna touch other women, but I'm allowed to look. Almost, you know, it's Ooh. a kind of colloquial phrase that's used. Islam's very clear on it that you know, no, you cannot look nor touch, kind of thing. You know, even looking is a sin. And to be fair, actually, even Prophet Jesus, peace be upon him, people might yeah. think Islam is being very strict here. I just want to read a quote from. Um, the gospel. So in the gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 18, verses 8 to 9, Prophet Jesus, peace be upon him, is recorded as saying, you have heard that that it was, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. So, you know, that's taken from the New Testament, which, you know, is literally to, you know, in arguably that is a more of an extreme teaching. I know the yeah. wording is metaphorical, but this is not a new concept. This is something all religions have taught. And sorry, just a correction. That was actually Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 to 30. 
Nice. So that's that's from the the, the Bible. We can see the bi- biblical punishment for even looking at a woman. What Jesus uh, suggested. Uh, coming back to the speech of His Holiness that was given at the concluding uh, session of the 127th annual convention. Uh, what we are discussing today, His Holiness went on to say. So where we have to purify the society from this evil talking about adultery and fornication, which is spiraling and rapidly spreading to unimaginable degrees, and where we have to save our children, our families, and our relatives, there we will have to also try to admonish other people. In fact, the truth of the matter is that this is also an aspect, or rather the very agenda of those who are promoting atheism. This is one of the strategies that they're using to try and move people away from religion and God. So we have to carry out an immense self-struggle against this. So he's only mentioned um, the idea of, you know, what the media is doing with adultery and fornication, leading people and promoting atheism. How How is that? If you think about it, it ties into what we were saying earlier. Every religion, and, and you know, I was reading about a Buddhist place of worship today mentioned mm. in the Review of Religions, the latest edition of the review. And under it, it talked about Buddhists' approach to reaching nirvana, that state of nirvana, and explained the different stages that someone goes through. So ultimately, the base state, and Islam has the same concepts, the base state of, of a human being is when they respond to their animal um, instincts, desires. Yeah. And only when you start to free yourself from them, you know, is when you start to elevate your status, if you like, as a as a, a human, you know, you start to go on that spiritual journey to improve yourself, to untie yourself, to not be a slave to your base instincts. Even modern day, you know, the brain anatomy talks about having a, you know, an old brain and a new brain. You have the old brain that very much responds to all of the, you know, fight or flight, um, you know, um, instincts. Um, same with you know instincts around reproduction and how we people respond to the opposite sex. So you have that aspect, but religion is all about trying to elevate yourself. It's trying to like improve yourself and to make yourself better. And so those who are trying to are religious are the ones who are going to try and have the best possible behaviors. Those are the ones who are going to try and protect themselves from these evils and sins that all religions have talked about. And what's the opposite of that what are those who are not promoting this those who are not promoting that kind of uh, way are those who have no belief in god if you're an atheist and you don't believe in god you know why would what is the benefit of staying away from these things why not you know why not go out and enjoy and do what you feel like doing you know in in a world where we're trying to promote often society talks about freedoms you know and, and with along with that thinking seems to be the freedom to do as you wish whatever you wish hmm. and that is the kind of thinking that is more linked into um, you know, more aligned with an atheist kind of way of viewing the world. Whereas if you're a believer, you ultimately believe, almost regardless of any religion, is that, you know, you have to lead a good moral life. You have to protect yourselves from various sins. And, you know, um, fornication, adultery, the things we're talking about are major sins in all of these religions. They all talk about it. Yeah. You are listening to the Pathway to Peace show here on The Voice of Islam. Be sure to follow at Voice of Islam UK on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Use the hashtag VOIPs to send us your thoughts, comments, and feedback. Now, His Holiness presented a nice solution to the problem of adultery and fornication, and it's one that Islam is quite big on, and uh, it's the trespass of the eye. Now, you mentioned, uh, RF, just a short time ago, the biblical kind of teaching and philosophy of, of trespassing of the eye where 
Jesus, peace be upon him, said that even if you look at a woman lustfully, that it is as if you have uh, fornicated. And there's a quite a lengthy Quranic verse. I won't read the whole verse, but it's very explicit about who women are allowed to um, show their beauty to and who they're not. And it's Surah Al-Nur, chapter 24, verse 31 and 32. And His Holiness explained this verse and said that men and women both have been instructed by Islam to cast their gaze down. And the Holy Quran has established a lasting standard of chastity. It is only by following that standard that we can establish a pure society. Now, how true is this, Arif? Imagine if we lived in a society where everybody, man, men and women, um, always casted their gazes down when when passing by each other. We wouldn't see half of the issues that we see today with adultery and fornication, would we? And I think another thing to understand is look back in history. You know, the, those again, those of us who have grown up in this in the Western world. You know, we're based in the UK. I grew up in the UK. I think you grew up in the in the States. But mm. those living in Western societies, we're very. You know, we see the current mixing of men and women, the way social, people socialize as the norm. You don't have to go that far, even in UK culture, to see a very different way in which you know societies operated. So even if you went back to the, you know. 50, 60 years previously, you will see a very different uh, way. So for, I'll give you one, one simple example. Watch videos of the 1930s, 40s, 50s, just the way people dressed. Yeah. Um, you will see differences. You will often see, uh, you know, women kind of having their heads covered as well. as like almost that was part of the fashion or the, the trend at the time. So there's certain things where often when people hear about, um, you know, these kind of ideas of uh, head coverings, veils, and uh, modesty and, and casting eyes down, they seem to think, well, this is something very old-fashioned and something that, you know, doesn't really exist in the world anymore and it's something from, you know, centuries ago. But actually, you don't have to go that far back. And then the other thing to understand is what Islam is doing here. Islam is acknowledging that there are instincts, there are strong passions in men and women. So Islam isn't telling you to go out and mix, but then always, you know, resist things. It's actually preventing the issue from occurring in the first place by, like you said, like His Holiness explained, the things, the paths that lead to that way, it's even stopping some of them, for example, you know, even stopping uh, those occurring. Um, so, for example, you know, men are instructed not to listen to, you know, women's voices or women singing, for example. It doesn't say listen to them in, in, with good intention, etc. There's actually instructions to say don't listen to the their soothing voices, etc. So that you'll see, you know, how even minute things and in very early stages, Islam is preventing these issues but by segregation and limiting the groups that mix. That again limits it, prevents these um, scenarios from even occurring where something may happen, mm. um, you know, which is just not really seen um, in other kind of cultures in the current day. Yeah, the cutting the cutting the issue at the root yeah. is is really apparent in this hadith of the Holy Prophet in which is narrated that when a blind companion came to the Holy Prophet, he instructed his wives to observe uh, the veil or barda. And upon this the lady said, "The companion is blind." And the Holy Prophet replied, "Are you too blind as well?" Um so this this kind of emphasizes that even in that situation, I mean, if there is any chance whatsoever, the Holy Prophet cut cut it at its root, and His Holiness said that this is a standard that the Holy Prophet wanted to establish. This incident also provides a reply to such people, be it men or women, who say uh, to the question as to why Islam and why the Ahmadiyya Muslim community is so um, 
quote unquote strict when it comes to the veil. It is because uh, this was the teaching uh, brought about by the holy prophet, peace and blessings of God be upon him, and the teaching that is given to us. I want to I want to give you one topical. Um, sorry to jump in there. I want to give you one topical example as well. So you know yeah. that the recently there's been this whole the whole Me Too movement where yeah. women have been highlighting the amount of sexual harassment and different types of harassment yeah. they've had to the point where on the underground there were actually posters now there are posters there that say staring at someone yeah. is also a form of sexual harassment or is a type of harassment right so now it's like the modern society is, is basically saying like don't even stare you know women will feel uncomfortable if someone is looking at them too much yeah. so effectively what's the man men being asked to do there cast their eyes down that's very interesting I didn't even notice that. Then again, I haven't traveled on the tube in a while either, but um, that's a topic for another show. Uh, next, His Holiness went on to discuss debauchery and dissipation. And these are two words that are that were well out of my vocabulary, so I'm going to let you define them, Arif. So debauchery is sort of seen as something... Uh, I was trying to think of the best way of like summing it up. So actually, I think we have a dictionary definition, first of all, don't we, to get us going on this. So Webster's defin- definition is says, uh, extreme indulgence in bodily pleasures and especially sexual pleasures, um, behavior involving sex, drugs, alcohol, etc. that is often considered immoral. So in my mind, when you think about that, I, my immediate uh, thoughts was around movies, you know, movie depictions yeah. of what we see in like... Uh, you know, um, maybe billionaire or millionaires having parties and things like that. So it means it's basically talking about going to the extreme of, you know, kind of immorality, if you like, around these things. Excesses. And again, these are interestingly, these are things that we see being glamorized in the media. Um, you know, I don't want to get too personal with anyone, but there's even world leaders in Europe who are known for, I won't name this a specific leader, known for the wild parties he would throw. You know, which had exactly what we've just described there. And that is something he's known for. And he used to be a head of state for an entire country. So it links back to what I was talking about earlier, which is that, you know, even the leaders amongst us seems to seem to have uh, issues when it comes to many of the things that we're talking about here. Um, so, yeah, that that's, you know, it's around going through all of these excesses, um, you know, as uh, you know, a modern day playboy, I guess, would be doing in the, in the sort of the Western world. And then dissipation. So dissipation. I'm glad that you've you know you uh, uh, you raised this as a term to look up as well because it wasn't something I was uh, familiar with in this um, context. But it's essentially wasteful expenditure. Um, so the def- definition from the dictionary is wasteful expenditure, intemperate living, especially excessive drinking, self indulgence, e.g. excessive or unrestrained gratification of one's own appetites, desire or whims. So again, you know, this sounds like what I was say- describing earlier: the sort of the animal instincts within man. You know, the, the sort of unchecked, unrestrained, just going out, doing exactly what you want. Um, you know, alcohol. It's interesting to know, Sufyan, alcohol has been mentioned several times, which is yeah. another thing that Islam prohibits, which is another way that hits the root of the issue at its cause, if you like, right in, in it, nips it in the bud. Because often people behave differently when they're under the influence of drugs. Um, and so Islam, over you know, over time brought in that, that um, stricter rules around alcohol, first of all saying you shouldn't be intoxicated at the time of prayer and then later prohibiting it completely and you know we're told that it led to the streets of Arabia at the time where the Holy Prophet peace be upon him was being flooded with like you know the wine was flowing through the streets when they were prohibited because everyone disposed of their alcohol. So it's interesting to know those two sins when they are described often talk about excesses also included the, the use of drugs and alcohol. 
Yeah, His Holiness said about these two evils, debauchery and dissipation, that this is something that we should be deeply concerned about. We should always uh, seek forgiveness for our sins and try to stay in the refuge of God. This is a kind of evil that has been spread everywhere in the world these days. The Quran also talks about uh, these two evils and says, On the day when those who believe will be brought before the fire, it will be said to them, You exhausted your good things in life, in the life of the world, and you fully enjoyed them. Now this day you shall be required with ignominious punishment because you were arrogant in the earth without justification and because you acted rebelliously. That's from Surah Al-Kaf, chapter 46, verse 21. And the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community also talked about this. Mirza Ghulam Ahmad, peace be upon him, uh, founder of the community, admonished and said, if a person expressed his desire to have righteous children, it would be considered a half-hearted and hollow desire until that person first brought upon a righteous change in himself. If he was engaged in debauchery and dissipation and expressed wishes to have pious children, he would be a great liar. Strong words there by the founder of the community, and it ties back to what we were mentioning before, earlier in the program, around lying uh, as well. Arif, you wanted to talk a little bit about celibacy. Yeah, just before we get on to that, I think just, just in here, it's worth acknowledging, you know, this what the, the issues we've just discussed today on the show around uh, avoiding things like fornication, adultery, it's difficult. You know, I've often talked about children. It's not just children who can be affected. All of us can. And in living in the Western world where the societal norms are different, it is extremely hard. You know, I yeah. find it challenging as well. I often think when you go to Jalsa, for example, of the events of the Ahmadiyya community where everything is segregated, there is an element, everyone is... Um, you're surrounded by Muslims, others who live by the same values, it can be very easy to live in that peaceful, harmonious way. Straight after Jalsa ends, you end up back you know, in, in, the, uh, in your work environment, in the city of London or wherever you are. You know, it's a different, completely different environment. Suddenly, the whole environment around you is different. The expectations are different. Social interactions, everything is very different. So it's really difficult. And in this modern age, we're constantly being bombarded by spam emails like you know it's never been easier for people to have private communications that others are not aware of yeah. it's you know the, the exchanging of photos videos and things like that there's entire apps who have been built purely to allow you to send a message to someone or a photo that then disappears if you think about that right the amount of temptation and the amount of things in the world right now uh, that are pushing you down that route or they're making it so easy, entire websites, etc. It's a really difficult time, you know. And, and to be fair, you know, this is what people, well, was prophesied, you know, as Ahmadiyya Muslims. Ahmadiyya Muslims, we believe that we are living in towards the end of time, the latter days. All religions have talked about immorality being strife at that time, being widespread. That's the time when the Messiah comes because, he, you know, the Messiah needs to come and help and protect people and create a you know like a, a an arc just like Noah did but maybe more of a metaphorical arc so that is you know the world we see around us we, sh we should in a way we should expect that you mm. know and this should be this is not supposed to be easy this is supposed to be one of the most difficult times to kind of be alive essentially but at the same time God sends his Messiah to help save those people uh, and you know that's as Ahmadiyya Muslims that's what we believe yeah indeed 
You're listening to the Pathway to Peace show here on The Voice of Islam. Be sure to follow at Voice of Islam UK on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Use the hashtag VOIPs to send us your thoughts, comments, and feedback. We are talking about the 100, the closing speech of the 127th, yes, over 100 years ago when the first annual convention took place in the remote town of Gadian, India. And to this day, the, the Jalsa Salana has been happening each and every year at the end of December. And we're talking about the address of His Holiness, the fifth caliph of the Ahmadiyya community, to conclude the annual convention. And we've mentioned uh, a few evils thus far, uh, fornication, adultery, uh, falsehood, and we are moving on to other ones. But I know, if you wanted to mention... I'll just be brief. Yes, I, I think it's important to understand that Islam does not require celibacy. In fact, you know, other... For, so, for example, in the Christian faith, just the act of procreating a child is seen as sinful. Yeah. You know, so Islam rejects that concept, um, you know, and... Um, there's a lengthy quote here, which I won't read all of, but the second caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Mirza Mahmoud Ahmad, Bashiruddin Mahmoud Ahmad, he actually uh, had during, he gave a, he was asked on a radio station, Bombay Radio, he was asked, why do you believe in Islam? And when listing out the different reasons, the fourth reason he gave is that he said, I'll read a brief quote, he said, I believe in Islam as it does not seek to crush my natural desires, but it guides them along the right channels. It does not, by altogether crushing my, di- my desires, reduce me to a stone, nor does it, by leaving them uncontrolled and unrestrained, reduce me to an animal. But like an expert irrigation engineer who harnesses uncontrolled waters and makes them run into irrigation channels, thereby bringing prosperity to waste areas, it converts my natural desires by proper control and guidance into high moral quantities." It does not say to me, God has given you a loving heart, but forbids you to select a life companion or that he has endowed you with the sense of taste and the capacity to appreciate good food, but has forbidden you to eat such food. On the contrary, it teaches me to love in a pure and proper way that would ensure my progeny, uh, my my progeny that perpetuates all of my good resolves. It permits me to use good food, but within proper limits, lest it should eat my fill, lest I should eat my fill and my neighbour should go hungry. By thus converting my natural desires into high moral qualities, it satisfies my humanity. Now, I didn't plan to read the whole quote, but I felt I had to really, because I think a good one. it really summarises what we're saying here. So we're saying yeah, celibacy is is something that is practised in other faiths. So, for example, nuns and, and you know, uh, and Christian priests, for example, and it's seen as a good quality, whereas Islam actually teaches us something different. So just the way Islam doesn't teach asceticism or being a monk and cutting yourself off from the world and going out into a monastery, high in the mountains and cutting yourself off, Islam teaches against that, encourages us to engage. Uh, same on this front as well. Now, I want to be clear, there are times when you are, Islam does teach celibacy for a period of time, the period before you are married, for example, and also during fasting, during the time of fasting as well. The, the daylight hours are a time of celibacy. But as a general rule, it gives a, you know, it gives a controlled way in which, you know, you can still um, you know, act on these natural impulses, but are, they're controlled in, uh, in the way that the second Khalifa, um, you know, explained so well there. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And so when he made a good analogy about an engineer building building something. Yeah, irrigation of water. Irrigation of water. So in in, in, 
our instance, the engineer is what? Is the religion of Islam or the engineer is God? Uh, that's a good question. The engineer <laughs> would be a God, I guess, in a sense that God is the one who's placing yeah. down the design. Or maybe the engineer is following the plans. Yeah. You know, maybe God produces the plan of exactly there. But I think, yeah, let's read that again. It was that bit. It talks about expert irrigation engineer who harnesses uncontrolled waters and makes them run into irrigation channels, thereby bringing prosperity to waste areas. So, I, yeah, I really love that analogy as well. You can see the gushing waters that, you know, yeah. if they're uncontrolled, it goes all over the place. If you're able to channel it correctly, it becomes something good. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good quote. That was from the second caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Bashir Din Mahmud Ahmad. Uh, may peace and blessings of God be upon him. Coming back to the fifth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and his concluding address at the 127th Convention of Gadian India, he delivered the address remotely from uh, Tilford here in the UK. Uh, he went on to discuss another evil, which is cruelty. Uh, and this is a bit more vague, but still very, very prevalent in society today. And he mentioned that the Holy Prophet had declared in some hadith that poverty in the eyes of people meant a lack of wealth. But those of his ummah would be considered truly poor on the Day of Judgment, who, although had observed uh, salat, the prayer and fasting, but had also committed cruelty against people because their good deeds would be transferred to those whom they had committed any cruelty. Now, this is really, really important, Arif, and, and the point here is that, you know, the, the Muslim ummah at large uh, is treating their people or other people so poorly that all of the good deeds are almost wiped out by the evil that they're doing by being cruel and unjust to other people in society. And you know, often when someone is being cruel or hurtful, sometimes people say they're harming no one but themselves by doing this. Yeah. Here's an example literally saying that, that by doing this cruelty, the person they're being cruel to inherits or takes over the, any blessings they would have earned as well. And it gets passed on to the per person they're being cruel to. Like that is a... You know, that is a quite powerful uh, message, I think, there. So, yeah, I think, yeah. you know, there is there's cruelty all over the world. If you think of the the, uh, the situation we see in Ukraine at the moment, for example, that's a very visible one. Mm. But we see it, like, you know, on the macro level and individually as well. Cruelty does exist, sadly. Yeah. Now, the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, said, quote, Show mercy to his servants and do not wrong them by your tongue or your hand or by any other means and strive for the welfare of God's creation. Behave not arrogantly towards anyone, even if he is your subordinate, and revile not uh, anyone, even if he should revile you. Become humble, tolerant, well-intentioned, and compassionate towards God's creation, so that you may be accepted by God. Anything to add to that? Yeah, so, you know, we, we talked about, you know, again, this is in, in line with the teachings of other faiths as well. You know, you should not be able to respond badly to those, even if they revile you. We talked about Christianity and Prophet Jesus, peace be upon him. He talked about turning the other cheek. Um, you know, so there is uh, Islam is we see it as an evolution of religious teaching. So it builds upon the teachings of Prophet Jesus, peace be upon him, and gives a framework for you know when 
you know, there are times when sometimes when, you know, there is a requirement for uh, punishment to be given if someone does do something to respond, you know, but it's better if you forgive that person. So Islam mm. gives a framework for even then to say, you know, when is it, you know, when should you um, uh, administrate some sort of punishment? But here we're talking uh, specifically around, yeah, behavior. In particular, the quote you read earlier talked about, you know, those who are subordinate to you. I think that's really important. People often say you only really find out what someone is really like when they have power or when they have money. Yeah. And I I think yeah the treatment of your subordinates tells you a lot about someone yeah we've talked about uh honesty and lying the next uh, the next evil that his holiness discussed is actually being dishonest and we've covered this quite extensively already so we won't spend too much time on it but i did want to mention another verse from the holy quran and this is from chapter 4 verse 108 where god says and plead not on behalf of those who are dishonest to themselves. Surely Allah loves not one who is perdiferous and a great sinner. And the promised Messiah went on to say, uh, the founder of the community said about this vice or evil, dishonesty, he said, whomsoever does not repent of every vice and every evil deed, such as drunkenness, gambling, lustful glances, deceit, bribery, and every misappropriation is not of my community. Every husband who deceives his wife and every wife who deceives her husband is not of my community. So the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, uh, may God be pleased with him, said ex- uh, pretty emphatically that these are the conditions and people that don't follow these conditions with dishonesty being at the forefront uh, of one of the things at the forefront of being a member or being considered a member of a community. Now this is, you know, signing on on a piece of paper is one thing, but actually living and breathing uh, the values that are teach, taught to us as Ahmadi Muslims uh, is clearly mentioned uh, by the Promised Messiah and people that don't abide by these uh, instructions in his eyes are considered not members of his community and and also smaller smaller sins can lead to bigger sins as well so if you are if telling the truth is not that important to you or you tell lies often that can be you know that can lead to you covering up other things if you're always truthful you know and you're asked about your actions why did you do this or where have you been or have you been doing this and you're mm. answering them truthfully that has an effect it also has an effect because you know, okay, if I am doing something I shouldn't do, there is a chance that someone will ask me, well, what you were you doing? And you know you have to answer truthfully. So it's a way of holding yourself, you know, you know you're going to be asked about that. So if you really, you know, if the truth is really important to you, then it helps avoid a lot of the other issues we've just talked about because it kind of, you know, you are going to be have, uh, you know, giving account to that, to other human beings, even if, you know, uh, as well as God ultimately. So I think they can help avoid some of these other sins. And like you said, the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, has mentioned all of these. And he hasn't said, he hasn't emphasised one or the other or said some. He's mentioned if any of these, if people don't repent from any of these vices he's mentioned, you know, yeah. then, you know, he doesn't, he says they are not of my community. Yeah. It's interesting, Arif, that the, the evils that we discussed earlier, the, the um, falsehood and the lying part, you know, was mentioned at the top of the show, but then His Holiness later on re- kind of reiterates the same thing by yeah. talking about dishonesty. I mean, is there a difference between what we talked about earlier in falsehood 
and then dishonesty or are they the I'd say there's some, the same the, yeah there's part the different sides of the same coin which is all around yeah you know like you were saying at the start they're verbal contracts like breaking your promises you know is that different to dishonesty truthfulness they're all related they're all about mm. you know are you do you have that integrity i think that's the word that really summarizes that whole area is the the integrity side of it if if something you say is it true if you're going to say if you promise to do something do you actually go and do it you know yeah. do do you believe in what you are asking others to do all of that comes down to kind of integrity is, is one way of summarizing it but it's all around that higher morality that man's looking for and that's what religion is all about building getting you to higher and higher levels yeah. and honesty is is one crucial part of that yeah and his holiness over and over again uh tells us in his uh, speeches as Ahmadi Muslims that we should set an example set a good example and be a positive role model for for the societies that we live in uh, a couple more uh evils that his holiness touched upon uh one was mischief and in this regard his holiness says that the muslims of today were making themselves guilty of mischief by engaging in killing of fellow muslims whereas the quran clearly states quote and seek in that which allah has given thee the home of the hereafter and neglect not thy lot in this world and do good to others as allah has done good to thee and seek not to make mischief in the earth verily allah loves not those who make mischief this is from chapter 28 of the holy quran verse 78 which clearly mentions the word mischief and i thought it was interesting or if that his holiness called out the muslims here yeah he, he you're right absolutely i think you know he's it's a tragedy that you know in the current state if you look at areas that are under turmoil or have issues often they are in muslim countries or parts of the world that have you know muslim um uh, population so even if you think about you know the the revolutions and the the arab spring and things like this different things that happened you know there's often there are muslims involved in that and then he specifically called out you know muslims killing other muslims or or conflict as well as being another issue or area where you know mischief is being created and it's uh, it's not sometimes not the root cause but it's a it's a way it's a, a way in which these things end up happening is that there is mischief makers sometimes there will be a legitimate cause for example but then mischief makers will get involved just because they want to be involved in something like that and that leads to problems going forward yeah and the final uh, evil that his holiness touched upon in his uh, speech at the 127th concluding address uh, for the convention in Gadian India uh was rebellion now when we talk about rebellion and and what's happening in the UK in the current day um the immediate thought that came to my mind was the strikes that are happening uh and Arif I'm going to ask you quickly with with your closing thoughts if you could tell us kind of would you consider the strikes a form of rebellion or are they different it kind of are i mean it becomes quite political right because if you think about islamic teaching would be about everyone being treated and paid equitably in the first place arguably you would never get to that stage but if people are being wronged and they think they are not uh, you know they're not getting their due there are ways in which they can actually um kind of bring about a change so it's hard yeah there's there's elements but then there's you know there are it's difficult to know when when a legitimate protest gets brought into the the class of rebellion uh, and i'm not qualified to answer that one and i'm not going to try to either um 
But I would say, yeah, if the rights of the of workers were being fulfilled correctly, which is something Islam talks about again and again, that leaders should treat people fairly and the right their rights and should be respected, then we wouldn't have these issues. But yeah, rebellion is, in particular, in organisations and groups. You know, uh, rebellion can often cause internal strife. Now, Islam doesn't say that if you don't, if you see something wrong, don't call it out. Quite the opposite. Um, but there are ways and means to break to bring up grievances. Um, and so the rebellion is really when people go against that or have don't have the regard for the law. And you know, for example, we've done previous shows, uh, Sufyan, around uh, protesting. You know, and, and yeah. Islam allows you, you know, if you want to do a, pro- a peaceful protest, that's allowed. Um, so that should be kept in mind as well. But the rebellion here is often when there's internal turmoil or if there's a conspiracy within a government to bring it down or within a political party, then, you know, that that is what is uh, being talked about here. Yeah. His Holiness said that you should judge past verdicts and make decisions according to the teachings of God and his messenger. Uh, teaching the teaching, that teaching was that one should inform the ruling government of their mistakes. However, if they do not accept it, then leave the matter with God the exalted. Then God will deal with them as he himself desires. However, one should also continue to pray for them that God the exalted may enable them to act upon justice. And we've talked many, many times uh, about Uh, justice in other shows and how justice and peace go hand in hand. So today we conclude here on the Pathway to Peace show on the Voice of Islam. We have been looking at evils and the Islamic solution to abstaining from these evils. A lot of Quranic references uh, for you today uh, throughout the course of the last hour and these Quranic references were shared by His Holiness at the concluding speech of the Qadian Annual Convention. Uh, and what a great goal it, it would be to have as we begin 2023. Um, however, you may be surprised to learn that this is actually a goal of all Ahmadi Muslims. These nine evils that His Holiness mentioned uh, were covered extensively, but are part of the conditions of bath or the conditions of initiation that all Ahmadi Muslims kind of sign up to when they become a member of the community. And I want to take a brief minute here just to read as we conclude the second condition of initiation. It says, He or she shall keep away from falsehood, fornication, adultery, trespass of the eye, debauchery, dissipation, cruelty, dishonesty, mischief, and rebellion, and that he will not permit him or herself to be carried away by passions, however strong they might be. So in fact, it is something that we as Ahmadi Muslims try our utmost to adhere to. So from the entire Pathway to Peace team, our technician who makes the sound of our voice pleasant to your ears, thank you for listening to the Pathway Pathway to Peace show here on The Voice of Islam. Until next time, for Arif Khan, this is Sufyan Faruqi saying assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. May the peace and blessings of God be upon you.